0: So first of all, I really want to comment on the grit series that's coming up. Um, A church. I am. Uh, I'm actually excited, um, hopeful. Excited might be the wrong word. Hopeful, and um, just thankful that I'm actually going to be able to talk to you in this grit series out of my own experience. And hopefully, I do that every Sunday. I know, but you just need to understand when I talk about grit in a few weeks and we're gonna spend like five weeks on it. We're gonna be in the book of Second Timothy. I encourage you to go read Second Timothy over the course of the next week or so. It's all about grit. But when I talk to you about grit, you just need to know it's not theory. <laughs> it's, it's actually comes from a place of having to find it. Like how many of you have ever wanted to quit on anything? Come on. Like, you know, you name it. Quit on uh, parenting, <laughs> you ever been there? Right, You can't give those boogers back, right? Quit on marriage, come on. Quit on work. How many of you think about quitting on work at least once a week? Thank you for being honest in the house of the Lord. Quit on life. Like one of the things I'm hoping and praying is that in the days and years ahead, we as a church and the church universal will actually be able to start talking more forthrightly and more transparently and more vulnerably about suicide and mental illness instead of that being the one thing that Christians and the church just haven't talked about so I'm, I'm really hopeful for the series on grit because everything you have felt about those things <laughs> am I going to say this including work I have dealt with and have struggled with there are many a days where I think you know what I'm just ready to go flip burgers at a nearby Burger King or something. It's hard. Life's hard. It's why I'm so, so hopeful for this series. Hey, can you give the campuses some love? Welcome. Garner, Sanford, Wake Forest, Hillsboro, Columbia, Durham Campus, Kenya, online church. We are one church in many locations, and just really, really thankful for the movement. want to give honor where honor is due. I know some of you are at other campuses, but you can still light her up on social media. Uh, If you see my wife, or you can find my wife on Twitter or Facebook, give her some love. Today is her birthday, and uh, give her some love. Hey, so um, today I want to talk to you about something Incredibly important. We're kind of pivoting. Uh, We're not doing the baptism celebration. God's ways are higher than our ways. And so it'd be really, really hard to have a nice festive celebratory party on the patio today with all of the rain and the dreariness. So what I want to do is I actually want to talk to you today about a subject that is dear to my heart. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but I want to ask you a question. What do you think would be the pastor's MVP. The pastor's most valuable player, if you know that language. Some of you have kids in sports. Others of you play sports. So you know the whole idea of an MVP. It's the most valuable Player, And maybe you've never thought about a pastor having a most valuable player, but I hope by the time I'm done today, you will be picking up what I am laying down. As I'm in pastor circles or I'm speaking to pastors or whatever, I I sometimes hear pastors, and they won't come out and say it right away, but some pastors believe that the most valuable player and the person who tends to get preferential treatment is the biggest giver. I watch pastors sometimes bend over, and they even go against their own convictions. At times, they get balt, if you will, by the big givers in the church. Maybe you think the pastor's most valuable player are those who are most generous. Other pastors tend to lean towards the person who has the greatest influence. You know, they love people of influence, and so some pastors kind of. You know, cuddle up beside the big influencers in the community to kind of network, if you will. There are others who think it's the great supporters or encouragers. And as I said earlier, life and ministry is hard, so pastors need encouragement, but sometimes pastors tend to think the encouragers are the most valuable player. Other pastors tend to think, well, it's the ones who have the the most gifting, if you will. They're the gifted people. They can help us take the church and move it forward. So, So they're the most valuable player. But I just wanted to let you know today on this different kind of day, as we've kind of called an audible, that in my opinion, the pastor's most valuable player is the person who comes alongside him or her and stands in the gap and prays for the pastor. I firmly believe that the most valuable player, if there is a most valuable player, you know what I'm saying. I mean, God's created us all equal and everybody's important and everybody has different gifts. But in my opinion, what I have come to believe over the years is that the most valuable person to me, or at least one of the most valuable people to me, is the person who will come alongside me and pray for me. The person who will come alongside my family and pray for my family. The people who pray for my children. So many of you pray for my children. I am so grateful for that. The year was 33 AD. The place was the upper room. The chapter is Acts chapter two if you wanna read about it later. The first church is born. They are up in the upper room. They're kind of huddled. They're kind of scared. They're not sure what's going down. Their Lord and Savior has been crucified. He's been dead. He's buried. He's been raised from the dead. And in that moment, the 12 disciples started praying. You know the story. The 12 became 120. Before long, old Peter gets up and preaches. Before long, the 120 people... Became 3,000 people as they prayed and preached. What's fascinating to me is in the book of Acts. They prayed and people got saved. What's fascinating to me is today. Today we pray for three minutes. We preach for 30. And we're lucky if three people get saved. Back then, come on. They preached for three minutes. And they prayed and 3,000 people got saved. There's power In prayer there's power the year was 1830 the place was Rochester New York any New York people here hey hey. New York people represented and not just represented they're the smart ones they moved down south who would want to live up there I'm just saying Rochester New York the preacher was Charles Finney in one year In the year of 1830, Finney saw 1,000 of the 10,000 inhabitants in Rochester, New York. 1,000 of them get saved and come to Christ in one year. The secret, he said, was the prayers of a man named Abel Clary. Finney wrote, Mr. Clary continued in prayer, as long as I did, and did not leave the building until after I left the building. He never appeared in public, but gave himself wholly to prayer. Finney credited that revival to this prayer warrior. The year was 1872. The place, London, England. The preacher, the great D.L. Moody. A bedridden girl, a bedridden girl named Marianne Adlard read about an obscure YMCA worker named D.L. Moody and prayed that God would bring him to their church in London, England. Of course, Moody came. And during 10 days in 1872, 400 new converts came to faith in Christ while he was preaching. He credited it to this bedridden girl who prayed for him to come and prayed while he actually preached. Come on, let's bring it a little closer to home. The year was 1834. The place was Charlotte, North Carolina, and the preacher was a southern revivalist by the name of Mordecai Ham. And as the Reverend Mordecai Ham preached, many people came to Christ during those meetings, including a young man by the name of Billy Graham. What Ham may not have known is that while the service was unfolding, laymen, including Billy Graham's father, had spent a day prior to the revival praying that people would come to faith in Christ. And they had no idea that Billy Graham would accept Christ and change the world. As you know, the rest is history. It was C.H. Spurgeon who said this, Whenever God determines to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. During his life, Spurgeon experienced a moment of revelation in which he discovered that neither his sermons nor his, his good works accounted for the spiritual impact of his ministry. It was instead, as one writer put it, the prayers of an illiterate brother who sat, listen, true story, sat on the pulpit steps pleading for God to bless for the success of the sermons back in those days I think you've probably been in historical churches like this big big old you know bells and whistles churches have you seen these stained glass windows the, the the choir loft the hard pews aren't you glad for some cushion seats up in the? have you sat on a hard wood pew lately but in those days you come down to the to the area and have you seen this there's the spiral staircase where the preacher goes around, then around, then around, and he ends up way up high preaching. This person was down on the steps of the stairs while he preached and just prayed and prayed and prayed. I'm telling you today that the pastor's most valuable player, again, in my opinion, and you can disagree, and I know other people have different theories and thoughts. I just want you to know the heart of your pastor. I believe that the pastor's most valuable player, or let me make it personal, my most valuable player is the person who comes alongside me, who prays for me, who prays for my marriage, who prays for my kids, who prays for my ministry. And I wanna invite you today to pray for me. I wanna invite every single person at every single campus, those of you who are watching this online, if you wanna bless this ministry, I wanna invite you to pray for me, open up your Bibles to Exodus 17. Exodus chapter 17. Great, great passage of scripture. You want to read something powerful? Read Exodus 17 and Exodus 18. Exodus 18 is where Jethro visits Moses. Jethro, you might recall, was Moses' father in law. Oh, speaking about in-laws, have I, have I told you this? Do y'all, do y'all know why, I'm gonna get in trouble for this on my wife's birthday, dude. Do y'all know why Peter denied Jesus three times? You know why Peter denied Jesus? Remember, Peter denies him three times. Because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Oh, record, I love my mother-in-law. I just share that for all of y'all. <laughs> Exodus 17. Come on. Exodus 17. The whole Israelite... By the way, I feel like my job is to kind of pastor you and shepherd you. You don't share that joke at Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas <laughs> when your mother-in-law's in the rooms. Exodus 17. Exodus 17. Here we go. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin... That was not a good desert, church. Traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Side note, if I believe the pastor's most valuable player is the person who prays for the pastor, the pastor's least valuable player is the person who quarrels all the time. Complains about everything under the sun. That's, that's, that's free of charge, but that's for some of you. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Verse 3, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in the front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand before you by the rock at Oreb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Verse 7. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses and Aaron and Ur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands... The Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Listen closely, verse 12. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. So picture the scene. They get a big stone. He sits down, he's on the stone. Now watch this. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side. And one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. So the very fact that we're remembering it today and talking about it is obedience to Scripture. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. And here you see this in the Old Testament all the time. Whenever God does something sacred, they would build an altar. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord Is my banner everybody say that with me the Lord is my banner come on the Lord is my banner he said because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation something powerful happened When these folks gathered around Moses and they held up his arms. What I want to say to you today, ever so briefly today, is one of the most important, powerful things you can do for your pastor is pray for him. It is one of the ways in which you can hold up his arms. And if you're watching this online and you go to another church, pray for that pastor. One of the most powerful things you can do in the spiritual world... It's to hold up the arms of your spiritual leader in prayer. There's something incredibly powerful about this. It's why when we started this church 17 years ago, I spent six months preaching in different churches every single Sunday. And I was not going to start this church until we raised up 1,000 prayer partners. I mean, had them signed up. It was it was an official prayer list, and they agreed to pray for me and for you. Even back then, they prayed for me and this church daily. One thousand prayer partners. This was in two thousand and one, going into two thousand and two. Here's what I can categorically tell you: (laughs) most of them are probably not praying for me anymore. Will you? Will you? Will you? Will you please? I plead with you. I beg you. I challenge you and I encourage you. Hold my arms up by praying for me. Praying for my marriage. Praying for my children. Praying for my health. Praying for our partnership together. And I'm not asking you to set aside 30 minutes every day and pray for me or an hour. You can if you want, but just, just throughout your day, whenever God puts me on your heart, would you, just, would you just whisper a prayer for me? God bless Pastor Benji. Bless his marriage. Bless his ministry. Would you pray for me when you come to church on Sunday? Just pray for me as I try my best to divide the word of the Lord and teach it to these beautiful people becoming known as New Hope Church. John Wesley, y'all know I'm a big John Wesley fan. John Wesley once said this, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. I don't know if I fully agree with that. (laughs) I, I, I I get a little hesitant when people say God does nothing or God does this as if we fully know. God is God, God can do whatever he wants to do. But John Wesley's point was still the same. He he was trying his best to communicate to that revival in England so long ago that God moves on behalf of God's people when we pray. I would say it like this. Revival starts and continues in prayer. Say that with me. Revival starts and continues in prayer. It is impossible to keep the kingdom of God from breaking out in our midst if God's people are praying, will you, can you be that person for me and for this church? Here's just a few reasons why I would encourage you to take this real seriously. Number one, pastors are under attack. Pastors are under attack. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, since the days of Jesus, come on, Satan has been prowling around looking for spiritual leaders to devour. You need to understand that. You're under attack as well, but Satan knows that if he can take out a spiritual leader, he can impact, in our case, a movement. The greatness of America has not been in the beauty of our country. Did you hear me? The greatness of America surely hasn't been in our government or our armed services. The greatness of America has always been and will always be directly connected to the woman or the man who stands up before God's people and preaches the word of the Lord. So Satan knows, I pick him off. My job just got a lot easier. First when pastors are under attack. I'm under attack. I mentioned earlier about how hopeful I am about this grit series. I'm doing good today, church. Oftentimes I can't tell you about the things I'm going through in the moment because I don't have a testimony yet. So I can testify today, but you should know. You should know that the last three years of my life have been three of the hardest years of my life. I've had lies spoken about me. I've had my family members attacked. I've had this church attacked. I've felt attack on the inside. Difficult days Spiritual warfare is real. And I'm not one, I'm not one of those, you know, that finds a demon under every rock, you know. I'm not one of those who's going to stand up to you today and say, hey, we can't have a baptism today because it's raining and therefore Satan must be attacking us. No, maybe some farmers just prayed for some rain. (laughs) You know, I don't know about you, my yard's looking kind of brown, you know, bring the rain on. But I've never been more keenly aware of the forces of darkness and how you should know that I personally believe in the last three years, Satan has put me in the crosshairs of his attack. And I'm so grateful I can stand up before you and testify that God is faithful. I'm so Number two, pastors cannot do it all alone. Pastors cannot do it all alone. Go read 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, wow, about the body of Christ and the different members that make up the body. And we had so many people sign up for ministry last week. Let me just pause right there and celebrate all of you who signed up for ministry at all of our campus locations. Maybe you weren't here, right? You weren't here. Let us know we're getting a brand new season of ministry up and there is a place for you. Let us know if you want to get involved. But we cannot do it alone. I've often had this idea of, of wanting to pull off a sermon prop in a message. I wanted to have a bench press up here. A bench press, you know. With, with, with dumbbells and a bar and, and start bench pressing, which I know for some of you, like you'll be able to pinch, bench press way more than me, but go to my max, you know, whatever that is. And then I, when I can't do it anymore, get a couple more weights thrown on there and I surely can't do it. And when I'm about to die and the, and the bar is across my neck, I then, I, yeah, and then I, 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 I lean up, you know, on my last breath, if you will, and I say, hey, everybody look under your seat. Everybody look under your seat. And under your seat, there's a weight. Everybody has a weight under their seat And the whole point of the the illustration would be, and I've never done it because it's just too hard to pull off. How How do I get that many weights at all the campuses under all the seats? I mean, so I just might as well tell you about it. But then you would all lift it up. And the cumulative amount of weight that we would lift together would be astounding. And the point is, I can't do it alone. Neither can you. And so we need one another. Here, here's one, here's one. Pastors are to inspire and influence. This is why. This is why Satan puts us in the crosshairs. The influence and the inspiration that we try to bring forth every Sunday and every day if that matter. God has placed pastors in position of great influence. Therefore, 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 we need your prayers. Please. Here's here's the last one, I think. Pastors are human. Go ahead and bless me and give me a hearty amen. We're human. I try to remind you all that all the time but you have a tendency to try to elevate me on a pedestal. Listen, I put on my holy jeans just like you do. (laughs) I'm human. We are all human. And the tendency in in, in the church in America and and, and sometimes in certain branches on the Christian tree is just downright dangerous where we lift a person up and elevate them almost to a deity. Like I know, I know pastors who, when they walk in the room, everybody stands up. Listen, when I walk in the room, if you stand up, I'm gonna pop you on the back of your head and say, sit down. <laughs> oh, come, come on, come on. Why you want And I, I, I love honor. I, love, I, I believe you, we give honor. I give honor. I honor you. I honor our staff. I, I'm not talking about, you know, I, but I'm talking about unhealthy versions unhealthy versions of where nobody can challenge the person or course correct or push back. Listen, I don't want a bunch of yes people around me. I want people who will challenge me. Why? Because I'm human. All day yesterday and even early this morning, I'm texting with a big group of people. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do today together because I need people. Why? Because I'm human Just like you are. 1991 survey. It's a little dated now, but I would actually tell you that the stats are probably worse. In fact, I would promise you they are worse as I study pastoral ministry. 1991 survey. 90% of pastors work more than 50 hours a week. You might say, well, that's nothing. I actually agree with you. I think we should work 50 hours a week. (laughs) I'd love to work a 50-hour week. But you get my point. (laughs) 80% believe pastoral ministry has affected their families negatively. 30% of pastors say that being in the ministry is an outright hazard to their family. This is a very reputable survey. 50% feel unable to meet the needs of the job. Boy, I can relate to that. 90% feel they are inadequately trained to meet the needs in ministry. That is a reality. Unfortunately, the cemeteries, I mean seminaries, (laughs) they don't prepare you for ministry in the 21st century. Some are getting better, praise God. 70% report having a lower self-image than when they started in ministry. 40% report a serious conflict with a parishioner once a month. 33% confess having been in some inappropriate sexual behavior with someone in the church. 70%. 70, do not have someone they consider to be a close friend. You do know, don't you, that the people on stages in this world who speak to masses are quite often some of the loneliest people on the planet. And you would think, how is that so? I don't know. I just know it to be true we are human and I need your prayers I beg for your prayers I plead for your prayers lastly and I'll end with this pastors plus prayer partners equal victory Pastors plus prayer partners equal victory. Do you want to keep victory occurring in the life of New Hope Church? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Do you want to keep impact and kingdom advancement and light being lifted up and darkness being pushed back? Do you want that? Then pray for me. Become a prayer partner with me. Are you in I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to ask for you to mark a card. I know the the God of heaven knows who prays for me. I just want to invite you on this very different kind of day. This is just something God laid on my heart as I sat in front of the television yesterday watching football. Glory to God. What can I say to people tomorrow, God, that we're obviously not going to have baptism? And I started working on this idea of prayer. And I went back and found my notes from when I started this church 17 years ago. And I dusted them off and reworked them. Here's what I need. I need you to pray for me. You say, how much, Pastor? Whatever you want to do. Whenever I come to mind, whenever my wife comes to mind, whenever my kids come to mind, just pray for us because we desperately need it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for this beautiful church. Thank you for these beautiful people. God, it tells me a lot about a person that would get up on a day like today Say, so you know what, I'm not gonna let the rain, I'm not gonna let the wind, I'm not gonna let the storms keep me from the house of the Lord. And Father, I believe that every person is here for a reason today. And you are divine and you can do whatever you wanna do in the lives of your people, Father. So if it's a lyric off of a song, if it is a hug from somebody, if it is a word spoken, whatever it may be, oh God, would you have your way with us? And Father, I pray, I pray, earnestly pray that you would raise up a fresh batch of prayer partners. That The folks within the sound of my voice today and even in the weeks ahead, God, as this continues to reverberate online, God, I pray that there would be people who would know that some of the most valuable people in the kingdom of God are those who gather around their pastor and they pray for him. They pray for her. They stand in the gap when the attacks come and the arrows are in the back and life is hard and marriage is hard and ministry is hard and parenting is hard. They stand in the, in the gap and they just faithfully and steadfastly pray. May it be so Here, oh God, may it be so now. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus, the one who was tempted by Satan himself, the one who asked his people to pray, the one who, when the disciples said, Lord, we don't even know how to pray. He said, When you pray, pray like this together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom